0: are going to continue our study through Matthew, uh, the book of Matthew. We were in Matthew chapter 12, picked up, uh, started off in Matthew chapter 12. If you recall or remember, uh, we had this story of Jesus and his disciples, and his disciples were picking grain from the grain field. And there was these Pharisees hiding out in the grain field, and they start to accuse the disciples of doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath. Now we looked at scripture and basically proved through Deuteronomy that the disciples weren't doing what was unlawful according to God, but they were doing what was unlawful according to the Pharisees and their man-made religion. The legalism that they struggled with, this man-made law that they had instituted, which we can read about and understand, uh, it's called the Mishnah. But we looked at that and we talked about how Jesus was bringing clarity to the Sabbath, his heart behind the Sabbath. Talked about resting in Jesus and not in legalism, because ultimately Jesus is our Sabbath. We can rest in him daily. Now, Matthew's going to transition right into this next story, another story of the Sabbath, And we're going to see Jesus continue to give us understanding of God's heart behind the Sabbath. But not only that, he's battling the legalism, the man-made law of the Pharisees. So, today, this morning, we're going to focus specifically on the way that Jesus does ministry and how it's different than the way that The Pharisees did ministry because we're going to see this is basically a church setting. They're in a synagogue and we're going to see Jesus' heart of love and compassion for the people in the synagogue and the heart of the Pharisees bound in legalism and the hatred towards the people. They don't even want this man that has this withered hand to be healed. So we're going to compare and contrast and understand the difference here. It brings me to the title of the message, The Ministry of Love versus the Ministry of Legalism. The Ministry of Love versus the Ministry of Legalism. We see Jesus' love towards God translated to a love and compassion towards people. That's why he's in the synagogue, to invest into the people. And the Pharisees, what we're going to see them do, they're trying to prevent ministry from happening. It's like, what? Leaders, spiritual people trying to prevent ministry from happening? Who would prevent ministry from happening? We all prevent ministry from happening, both to ourselves and to others. And as we dive into this text, we're going to understand that we can relate a lot more to these Pharisees than we would initially like to think. So if you would flip with me to Matthew chapter 12, if you're not there yet, This story um, is one of those stories that's in all three of the synoptic gospels. That means Matthew, Mark, and Luke. They all account to this story. Uh, We're going to look at Mark and Luke and a couple things that they said uh, to add a little color, to bring to, to light some of the details to the story so we can understand it better. So we'll mainly uh, be in Matthew chapter 12, but I'll reference um, Mark's account and Luke's account. If you want to write this down, uh, Mark um, tells the same story, just talks about a couple different things in Mark chapter 3, verse 1 to 6. And then Luke uh, also tells this same story in Luke chapter 6, verse 6 to 11. So we can pick up a couple words that Mark and Luke use to help us understand the text a little better. Uh, for example, um, we're going to see that this is on a different Sabbath. In Luke chapter 6, verse 6, this isn't the same Sabbath as the grain picking, as that story with the disciples. This is another Sabbath. So let's read Matthew chapter 12, verse 9 to 14. We'll read the whole story and then we'll break it down. Now, when he had departed from there, he went into their synagogue. We know that this is another Sabbath, okay? And behold, there was a man who had a withered hand. And they asked him, saying, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath that they might accuse him? Then he said to him, what man is there among you who has one sheep and if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not lay hold of it and lift it out? Of how much more value then is a man than a sheep? Therefore, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, stretch out your hand and he stretched it out and it was restored as whole as the other. Then the Pharisees went out and plotted against him how they might destroy him. So we see this story and we know what ends up happening, but I want to dissect this. I want to understand it a little deeper. If you flip back with me or look back with me to Matthew chapter 12, verse nine, it says, now when he had departed from there, he went into their synagogue. This isn't God's synagogue. This is their synagogue. Matthew didn't make a mistake here. It's the Pharisees' synagogue. What do I mean by that? They created, it originally it started as a good thing. They, they wanted to set up these synagogues so that they, they didn't have to go all the way to the temple to worship the Lord. So they set this place up for worship and for prayer and for seeking the Lord in his word. But now it's not God's synagogue, it's their synagogue. They were exalting their false sense of religion and spirituality and they were no longer exalting the Lord they had changed the heart behind the building. God, it wasn't, it wasn't a place where people could come and, and cast their cares upon the Lord, cast their burdens upon the Lord. No, no, no. It was a place where they came where burdens were cast upon them, where the Mishnah and certain man-made religions were instituted and the people would walk out of there like, man, I feel judged. I feel criticized. I don't feel received in this place. Yeah, I go because I feel like I need to go. It's part of the culture, but they weren't experiencing those that, that encounter with the Lord where their burdens were being relieved. No, they were coming away with greater burdens on their shoulders because this was no longer God's synagogue, this was the Pharisees' synagogue. It's their synagogue. Now we got to be careful about this in the church. We can do the same thing. It can become our church, and there's a part of it. Yeah, it's our church. But 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 it's God's church. It's not our church, it's God's church, and He allows us to be part of His church. We see a warning about this in the book of Revelation. If you look at Revelation chapter 3, verse 14. Revelation chapter 3, verse 14, in uh, speaking of the seven church ages, and we won't get into all of that, um, but the last church, the church of Laodicea, look at what he says here. In Revelation chapter 3, verse 14, it says, And to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans' write. That's the only church that's communicated that way. Most of them will say the church at Smyrna, okay, or the church of Philadelphia. This is the church of the Laodiceans. It was the church of the people. See, the people ruled and reigned in the church, but guess who didn't? Jesus didn't rule and reign in that church. And that's why he says, if you look at Revelation chapter 3 verse 20, very familiar with this verse, many of you, he says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. Jesus was kicked out of the church. He's knocking on the door because he wants back into the church. It's no longer the church of Christ at Laodicea. It's the church of the Laodiceans. They've made it their own. They've made it something different than what it was supposed to be. That's why he says, you're neither hot nor cold, you're lukewarm. I'll spit you out of my mouth. And it's so easy for us to fall into this. We can make the church our own it can be comfortable it can be convenient it could be what we want it to be but is it what God wants it to be this is God's church it's his building and we're called to 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 seek him so that that it's his doing and not us we want to make it his church not ours and Jesus says in Matthew chapter 16 I will build my church I will build my church So if the church isn't being built or the building process ceases, not just talk about practically, but spiritually, then maybe it's not Jesus's church. This is what's happening in the synagogue. See, Jesus is going to go in the synagogue and he went to several different synagogues. It was his custom to go and to teach and to minister to the people. He's trying to teach the Pharisees how to do ministry. He's trying to teach them not only about what the Sabbath is all about, but their hearts towards the people. He's trying to correct. He's trying to teach them. Matthew chapter 12, verse 10 says, And behold, there was a man who had a withered hand, and they asked him, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath that, we, that they might accuse him? So it says, behold a man with a withered hand. This is implying that this man with a withered hand is the central figure to this story. The whole story, uh, it kind of surrounds around him. So we'll talk about him at the end of the teaching, but important to know, behold a man with a withered hand. And they say, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? See, the Mishnah said, God said, don't work on the Sabbath. So they made these um, different laws and what work really meant. And one of those laws was if someone lost their arm or their leg, literally like say a lion ripped it off or they got it cut off or whatever, they weren't allowed to heal that person's arm or leg. They were allowed to wrap a tourniquet around the arm or the leg to prevent it from bleeding, but they weren't allowed to put like neosporin, not that they had that back then, but any type of healing ointment on the wound to make sure they would be healed. They could try to stop the bleeding with a tourniquet, but we can't go so far as to put healing on it because that would be considered work. And then we'd be breaking the Sabbath and then... Really? You're just going to let somebody bleed out and die? Yeah, they would. I would rather this person die than me break the law. It's ridiculous, right? But that's where they're at. That's their thinking process. No, you're not allowed to heal on the Sabbath. That's why they pose the question to Jesus. Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? In Mark's account, we see that if you look at Mark chapter three, verse one and two, that they're watching him closely. They're watching Jesus closely. Now there's some indication that perhaps, maybe they had this withered man, withered hand man come into the synagogue and they're just trying to set Jesus up because they know he's done miracles in the past and they know that there's a good chance he's gonna heal this guy. So they're just setting him up. So if he heals this guy and breaks the law, then they can bring accusation against him. So they're watching him closely. Their eyes aren't focused on worshiping the Lord. They're focused on bringing accusation against Jesus. See, Jesus, his heart, he's coming to the synagogue out of a heart of love and compassion for the people. While the Pharisees, they're coming to bring accusation against Jesus, which brings me to my first of five points. Compassion is greater than accusation compassion is greater than accusation. See, in Luke's account, says Jesus came to the synagogue to teach. We knew that that was his custom. So he's coming to the synagogue to invest in the people spiritually because he knows that that that's what they need. They need spiritual healing. They need spiritual restoration. They need spiritual investment. But we also know, because we read the story, that he's going to heal them physically as well. But his whole heart about behind investing spiritually and investing and in providing practically is because of his love towards the people. His heart is rooted in compassion and love for God's people. The Pharisees, they're there closely watching Jesus, not paying attention to you know, the worship and everything that's going on. They're, they're paying attention to Jesus and his teaching and whether he's gonna heal this guy just so they can bring accusation against him. See compassion is of Jesus but accusation is of the devil. It's Revelation chapter 12 verse 10 the devil is referred to as the accuser of the brethren. And these pharisees they're following not the heart of God but the heart of Satan. They're coming there to bring accusation against Jesus. Now, before we judge and criticize these Pharisees, I want us to to wrap our minds around and identify with this kind of heart for a moment. Do you come to church with a heart like this? Do you come to church with a heart of accusation or criticism or judgment? Or do you come with a heart of compassion and love? I want to be fed and I want to help others and have compassion on them and be there for other people. What do I mean? See, Jesus is the teacher in this setting. Luke said he went there to teach. And how often can you walk into a service, especially when it's a place you've never been before, and you sit there and you listen to the teacher And you start criticizing and judging. And I don't really like his style. I don't really like his clothes. He's a little young for my taste. And you start looking at, hey, I don't like the connections that he made. And you get so focused on the criticism and critique, you're bringing accusation against the one that's sharing the word of God. And it's robbing you from the message that God has for you. I'm not above this, I do this. See, this often happens with mature believers and teachers because teachers, we're constantly studying, we're constantly diving deeper and trying to understand the word of God better. So we get caught up with their style's different. I don't like the way that they did it. They're too slow for me. They're too fast for me, yada, yada, yada. And we could think of a million reasons and excuses to discredit the message that's coming from the pulpit, but that's not God's heart. See, God in his sovereignty, he brought you to this place to receive a message, to receive a word, to worship him with your whole heart, soul, mind, and strength so that you can encounter him and grow in him. But when we get caught up in this, I'm just watching, people watch up the person next to me, they're wearing this, or they're doing this, or she's saying that, or she's speaking during worship, or I don't like the way he sings. We... We get so caught up with these little judgmental, critical things that it robs us from the message that God has for us. Now, I'm not saying. See, they're looking at Jesus closely, specifically about the healing, but they probably have that heart of criticism towards his message. I'm not saying don't be a Berean, okay? And a Berean was, in the book of Acts, a, a group of people that were known for their um, diligent study of the word. But it says there that the Bereans, they first receive the word of God and then they search the scriptures. So often you can sit here in a sermon and you could be like, wait, is that right? Is that right? I'm searching the scriptures the whole time. And yes, I want you to follow along the message, but we can like look at the Bible so much. Is this right? Is that true? Is that? And you don't, you get so caught up in the criticism that you miss The message and what's being communicated and what God's trying to get across to you. They received the word and then they searched the scriptures. Be students of the word, but don't let your diligent study turn you into a Pharisee. We have to respond to the word of God in love and receive, yes, with discernment, making sure that it is the word of God. But the Pharisees, they're here with a heart of criticism and a heart of of accusation. Pick it up in Matthew chapter 12, verse 11. Says, then he said to them, what man is there among you who has one sheep and if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath will not lay hold of it and lift it out? Oh, how much more value then is a man than a sheep? See, Jesus, because of his love for the Pharisees, he's trying to explain. He's trying to bring clarity behind the Sabbath. See, you guys are getting caught up with sheep, but you forgot about people. God instituted the Sabbath for people, but you're caught up with Uh, You have compassion for animals, which is great, but you have more compassion for the animals than you do the people. And what Jesus is doing here, he's taking time with the Pharisees and he's trying to bring clarity to God's heart behind the Sabbath because he desires mutual understanding. He desires peace. But we're going to see the Pharisees, they don't care what Jesus has to, has to say. In fact, in Mark's account, it says they remain silent after he said this. Why? They're not trying to come to a place of understanding. They came there looking for a fight. They came there with a heart of conflict. They just wanted to start a fight with Jesus. They weren't trying to come to a place of mutual understanding. They didn't want to hear him out. They just wanted to pick a fight with him. Which brings me to my second point. Pursue mutual understanding, not conflict. Pursue mutual understanding, not conflict. And this is the specific point that Jesus is making as he attempts to bring clarity of God's heart behind the Sabbath. Like I said, Jesus is making the point that the Pharisees have more compassion on animals than they do people. Anyone relate to that? Have more compassion sometimes on animals than people? Do you have more compassion on maybe perhaps a little puppy than you do a man who's in sin? Right? And I look at the man, what about a man who murdered someone versus a little puppy? Yeah, little puppy. I have more compassion on you, little puppy. Not man that just killed someone. Come on. But God's saying, Jesus is telling us, no, no, no. You need to have more compassion on people than you do animals. Now we know with Adam and Eve in the very beginning, Adam was given dominion over the animals. So we know that we're called to take care of the animals, but not take care of the animals over the people. If we're not taking care of the people, then we're using what? Taking care of the animals as an excuse? See, this is very prevalent in our culture, especially in California, but it's serious. Everybody wants to save the animals around here, and that's great, It's great to save the animals, okay? But the same people that are picketing to save the whales are the same people that are picketing for pro-choice. Like, yeah, save the whales, but kill the babies. It's like, what? Are you serious? Where are your hearts? Yeah, I agree. Let's save the whales, but not kill the babies. Come on, we got to save the babies. We need to save the babies. And then, okay, and then if we have time, let's save the whales, all right? But so often the culture just gets things so twisted And we go into this place, yeah, I'll have more compassion on the sheep than the man. And that's what the Pharisees are doing. That's what Jesus is saying. Dude, you'll save your sheep. You'll save your livestock because it's valuable to you. But you won't save this man. And then he says, how much more valuable are man than sheep? Come on, think about it. Your your thinking is twisted. It's not right. See, the Pharisees... They're not here at the synagogue to worship God. Remember, they're looking closely at Jesus, watching his every move. Possibly put this withered, man, withered hand man there so that they can bring accusation against Jesus. That's why it says they're there. They're, they're there to bring accusation against Jesus. They're trying to pick a fight with the son of God, not worship God. And that's their heart behind why they're there. As I said before, in Mark chapter 3, verse 4, it says they kept silent. After Jesus made his case, they kept silent. Why would they keep silent? Because they're not trying to come to a place of mutual understanding. They don't want to understand Jesus' explanation behind God's heart, behind the Sabbath. They just want to start a fight with Jesus. They don't want to be in agreement with them. They're just arguing for the sake of arguing. You ever do this? You ever argue just for the sake of arguing? What about with your wife or your husband or your children? You ever get caught up in an argument and then you continue on in the argument just to prove that you're right, even when you know you're wrong? You just come across and you're like, hey, I I just want to prove myself right, so I'm just going to twist this conversation any way I can. I don't care about what's true. I just care about being right. Right? It's rooted in pride. We can do it, right? It happens with husbands and wives all the time. It happens with couples. It happens with siblings. We just argue for the sake of arguing. That's the heart of the Pharisee. They're just pursuing conflict for the sake of conflict. They're pursuing arguments for the sake of arguments. They just want to start a fight. They don't care whether Jesus is speaking truth or not. They're not receiving the truth. They just want to start a fight. It doesn't matter what he says. He told him, he's told him that he's the son of God. He just told him he was Lord of the Sabbath. He just very creatively portrayed that all authority is his in that last section. But they're still like, I don't care what you say. I'm just pursuing this thing. I just want to get in a fight. I just want to start a conflict. It's so easy to fall into that. The opposite is responding in humility and saying, no, okay, wait, maybe you're right. Maybe I'm wrong. That takes a lot. But we see Nicodemus did that. He was one Pharisee that did do that. He realized the things that Jesus was saying, they were true, they were right. He didn't try to argue. He didn't try to start a conflict. He wanted to understand. And we see that story in John chapter three. And Jesus, because Nicodemus responded with humility, he came to Jesus at nighttime because he wanted to know, who are you, Jesus? I want to know the truth. Jesus spoke the truth and Nicodemus was one of the few Pharisees that received the truth. Now Jesus, he's pursuing mutual understanding because he's the prince of peace, right? He is the prince of peace and he desires peace. He offers peace to all men. But the Pharisees, they're pursuing war. They're pursuing conflict. They're pursuing a battle with him. Jesus is the Prince of Peace, but he's also given the name, the Lord and Commander of the Armies of Heaven. Okay? So when we don't accept the peace offering, we're inviting the Commander of the Armies of Heaven, declaring war. It's like, what? Really? That's what the Pharisees are doing. They're like, all right, I came to pick a fight. Jesus is like, hey, I'm offering you peace right now. You might want to take it because if you don't take the peace offering, I have other names too. And I will come to battle. And that's a battle that you're not going to win. So either you receive the truth, accept the truth, or you fight the truth, and then things are gonna get nasty. They're gonna get a little dirty, but you're not gonna win. You're going to leave humiliated and embarrassed. And we see Jesus do that to the Pharisees time and time again. He makes them look foolish. They're picking a fight with someone that's never going to lose. Matthew chapter 12 Verse 12, that second part, um, 12b, it says, therefore it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Jesus just breaks it down very simply. Every day is a good day to do good, okay? There's not a day of the week that it's like, no, I shouldn't do good this week. Wait, I have my day off? It's my day off strong believer that there's no days off in Christianity. Now I get taking a day and spending it with family and pursuing rest and but what are you gonna do? Somebody calls you on the phone and they're struggling and they're battling something. They have a serious issue and they call you or they come to your house and they're like, hey man, I really need to talk. Sorry, it's my Sabbath. I'm not gonna do good in this situation because it's this day of the week. That was the heart of the Pharisees. I'm not gonna do good. Because doing good might require work. And work is unlawful on the Sabbath. And Jesus is saying, no, 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 you don't get it. God wants you to do good on the Sabbath. If there's somebody that's in need, he desires you to help them on the Sabbath. Yeah, you need your time of rest. But remember, we talked about it last week. Jesus is our rest. He is our Sabbath. So Jesus he he brings clarity to this situation. There's no day that you shouldn't do good things. But Jesus doesn't just say it. We see he's going to do it. He's going to do a good thing and heal this man why? Because his heart and his desire is to please God. That's his motivation. He's there because of his love towards God as we discuss. He's coming to the synagogue doing what God called him to do because he wants to please his father. The Pharisees, why are they there? They're there because all the other Pharisees are there. They're there just trying to fit in. They're there to please man. They're not there to please God. This is the third point. Purpose to please God, not man. Purpose to please God, not man. Very simple. I'll explain. It's Galatians chapter one, verse 10. For do I now persuade men or God, or do I seek to please men? For if I still please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. See, Jesus, he had one goal in mind, and that goal was to please his heavenly father. He just wanted to do what was good and pleasing in his father's eyes. That was his motivation behind coming to church, behind coming to the synagogue. The Pharisees, they're not there to please God. They're there to fit in with the other Pharisees. See, all the Pharisees are bringing accusation against Jesus. So they're like, wait, if they're all going there to accuse Jesus, I better come along with them so that they accept me, so that they receive me. But we see they're focused intently on Jesus. They're looking closely at Jesus, all to bring accusation against Jesus, but they're not there to please God. Their desire to fit in with the rest of the Pharisees robbed them of their opportunity not only to please God, but to know God. God is standing right in front of their face and they claim that their whole pursuit in life is to seek and know God. God's standing right in front of them, but their desire to fit in with the rest of the Pharisees robbed them of having an intimate encounter with God. Jesus Christ is God in the flesh, and he was right there in front of them, and they missed it because they get caught up in trying to fit in with their friends. We can do this as well. Our efforts to please man can interfere with our opportunity to please God. Now, even in a, a worldly sense, maybe there's some of you that are still struggling with, uh, yeah, I'm in church, I love the Lord, but I got these friends outside of the church and they're not believers and they drink and party, they party and they do all these things and when I'm around them, I do those things, but I still come to church on Sundays and you know, I, I read my Bible daily, but I still struggle with being kind of, in the world. And uh, I I, want to fit in with my friends still. And we could get caught up and led astray there. But it's not just for the people that are struggling with their friends that are in the world. We know uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verse 33, um, bad company corrupts good morals. So there's a clear indication of scripture that we need to step back in and be surrounded by good, godly people, but this can also happen in the church. We can get caught up with pleasing men in the church and we can do things just to fit in with people in the church. And I'm gonna talk about a couple things. These things aren't bad in and of themselves, okay? I just want you to question your heart behind, doing. it. What happens when... After a worship song, somebody starts clapping. You start clapping, right? Usually, I do most of the time. And I'm like, why am I clapping? Oh, I'm clapping because everybody else is clapping. Okay, so they've rubbed off and I'm just clapping. I don't know why I'm clapping. Does the worship team even want me to clap for them? I'm just clapping because everybody else is clapping. What about when you're worshiping the Lord and... You're like, yeah, I should lift my hands. This song, it keeps saying, lift up your hands, lift up your hands. And I'm singing it, but I'm not doing it. And I know like God wants me to lift up my hands and be vulnerable, but I look to the right and my left. They're not lifting up their hands. I don't want to lift up my hands. If I lift up my hands, then it's like, wait a minute. You're purposing to please man and not God. If God's calling you to lift up your hands, lift up your hands. If he's calling you to clap, clap. If he's calling you not to clap, don't clap. He's calling you to put your hands like this, put your hands like this. He calls you to put them in your pocket, put them in your pocket. Whatever he's telling you to do, do it because you're desiring to please God and not man. It's so easy for us to get caught up in doing things just because everybody else is doing things and we don't even know why we're doing them. We're just doing them because the people around us are doing them. Now everybody at the end in worship today is gonna to be like, I, I don't, I, am I spo- am I, was this from the message or is this from God? I don't really know, I'm confused. Jesus' heart, he came to the church, he came to the synagogue to please God. He didn't care what everybody else thought. He was willing to put himself out there and and willing to allow people to say bad things about him and bring accusation against him. He wasn't worried about what everybody else thought. He was there because he wanted to please God. Now, this is a, a purpose to please God. It takes purpose. It takes effort. It takes energy because the people around us are so influential, whether for good or for bad. We see a great example in the person of Daniel, um, the prophet uh, during the Babylonian exile. He's taken to Babylon and in Daniel chapter 1 verse 8, it says he purposed not to defile himself with the king's delicacies. Now think about that. You just got brought from Jerusalem. You had it good. Now you're in Babylon. They got everything you could ever hope for, think for, want, all the food, all the anything that you could ever desire. Now Daniel's a slave and he said, he had a purpose in his heart not to defile himself and get caught up with what everybody else is doing because most of the Jews in that setting, they got caught up with the ways of the Babylonians. Now, some we know didn't. But many did. And because it was around them, they started worshiping false gods. They started worshiping the gods of the Babylonians. They got so far away from Yahweh, from the true God. But see, Daniel, he distinguished himself. He decided, I'm gonna be different than the rest of the people here. I don't care if they like me. I don't care if they kill me. He almost faced death a few times. I don't care what they say about me. I'm purposed to please God god it's exactly what jesus's heart was as he goes into the synagogue he doesn't care what anybody else thinks except for his dad mark chapter 3 verse 5 we're going to look at mark's account for this one real quick uh, because he says something that's not in matthew Um, mark chapter 3 verse 5 same story says and when he had looked around at them with anger being grieved by the hardness of their hearts Jesus he looked at the pharisees with anger he was grieved by the hardness of their hearts. He just tried to explain to them and now they keep silent. They don't want to hear the explanation and he's angry and he's grieved because he knows there's a man in the church in the synagogue that's hurting and is need of he- in, in need of healing. Jesus is trying to explain the heart behind the Sabbath because of what he's getting ready to do. He wants them on his side because he loves them, but they're ignorant to their sin. They don't see it. Their hard hearts are preventing them from understanding what they're doing wrong. See, Jesus was angry at their sin, but they were ignorant of their sin, which brings me to my fourth point. Be angry at sin, not ignorant of sin. Be angry at sin, not ignorant of sin. See, the Pharisees, they didn't get it. They didn't understand. They were ignorant of their sin because their hearts were so hard they couldn't receive the truth. We know the Word of God is living and powerful and it pierces into the heart, right? But not when our hearts are so hard that we can't receive it. Their hearts were so hard that the word couldn't even penetrate. It couldn't pierce. Now, Paul, who was a Pharisee, right? He explains this a little better. He, in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 13, you can write it down. Paul basically explains why he persecuted Christians, okay? why he blasphemed God, why he persecuted Christians. He said he did it out of ignorance and unbelief. His heart was hard. He was ignorant of his sin because he didn't believe. He didn't believe the gospel. He didn't know that he was a sinner and needed to be saved by grace. This is where the Pharisees are at. The Pharisees' hardness of heart is rooted in ignorance and unbelief. They're blinded by pride. See, remember the ministry of Jesus was an extremely difficult one. Uh, It's the same uh, similar ministry of Isaiah. And and Jesus quotes this several times, but uh, let's just look at Isaiah real quick. Isaiah chapter six, verse nine to 10 says, and he said, go and tell this people Keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy, and shut their eyes, lest they see with their ears and hear with their ears, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart, and return and be healed. This is the same ministry that Jesus had with the Pharisees. They had ears, but they couldn't hear. They had eyes, but they couldn't see. They're hearing the word of God. They're seeing the word of God, but their hard hearts are preventing them from receiving the word of God. And God is standing right before them with a message for them so that they would understand, so that they would understand what this restoration, what this healing, what this wholeness is all about. But they're missing it because they're hard-hearted and that hard-heartedness is leading them to... Be ignorant of their sin. Now, Jesus, he's angry. He's angry at their sin. He's angry at the sins of the Pharisees. He's grieved over their sins, but his anger doesn't lead him to lash out or have an outburst of wrath. No, his anger leads him to think. His anger leads him to try to figure out, hey, what's the... What's the best thing I can do in this scenario? Well, they're not receiving it. He's gonna heal this man, but he knows there's a bigger problem here. He has love for the Pharisees, but he's angry with them. He's grieved by them. Jesus' grief-filled anger led him to the cross. He knew that the only way to pierce a heart so hard was the ultimate sacrifice and portrayal of love. You might not get what I'm saying. I'm standing right in front of you. I want to encounter you. I want to love on you, but you don't understand the love of God and that's why your hearts are so hard. So I have no other choice. And we know this was God's plan from the beginning, but I have no other choice but to die for your sins in hopes that your eyes would be open to my love because that's the only thing that's going to cure a heart so hard is considering the cross. Matthew chapter 12, back in Matthew verse 13, it says, Then he said to the man, Stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out. And it was was restored as whole as the other. Then the Pharisees went out and plotted against him how they might destroy him. Think about this. Like, look at the contrast here. Jesus just heals this man, restores him to wholeness. After he heals this man and restores him, then the Pharisees leave and they plot how they're gonna destroy Jesus. It's like, dude, this guy just just had experienced a miracle. He was made whole. And now you wanna go against the one that brings wholeness? It's absolutely ridiculous, but I want to make my fifth and final point. Restoration is greater than destruction. Restoration is greater than destruction. Jesus wants to build God's people up. He wants to encourage. He wants to edify. No, I'm not taken away from the fact that Jesus will speak hard truth into our lives and bring conviction as well, but his heart is to bring restoration, to bring wholeness. When you come to church... Do you find yourself tearing people down or building people up? Not even just your actions, but in your heart. Is your heart in that critical, judgmental, I'm focused on the people around me and I'm tearing them down even in my heart? And maybe you even say something that's a little like hard, really discouraging. Are you a source of encouragement or discouragement? And not even just in the church, in your personal lives, with your kids, with your family. They you say, like, man, dad's super encouraging. Like, he makes me want to be better. Dad, he's always on me, always criticizing me, always judging me, always tearing me down. I feel hopeless and helpless. Jesus, no, he's there to bring restoration, he's there to bring wholeness. He wants to restore this man with the withered hand, not beat him down, not tear him down. That was the job of the Pharisees. Even in the church, even in our homes, are we tearing down or are we building up? Now Jesus, he came to heal this man. That was his purpose. That was the reason for him coming. But this man, he still had to do something. In Mark chapter three, verse three, in his account, it says that Jesus called him to step forward. So the man, he had to take a step forward and then he had to stretch out his hand. Now let's understand this. We know that the Pharisees believe that healing on the Sabbath is unlawful. If you're healed on the Sabbath, not only is the healer in trouble, but the one who's been healed is in trouble as well. So this Man with this withered hand, him stepping forward and stretching out his hand, he's probably heard stories about Jesus and his healing powers. He probably knows what Jesus is gonna do. But he is asked to get out of his comfort zone, to to get out and be vulnerable. Jesus says, if you wanna be, this is the way that you're going to be healed. You're gonna have to step up and stretch out your hand. Now think about and empathize with this man with the withered hand. By him receiving healing from Jesus, he's probably never going to be able to come worship God in the synagogue again, ever. He's gonna be cut off from the people that he knew there. This is in his community. So his community is not gonna receive him anymore. He can't come to church anymore in a sense. So he knows that this moment, even him putting himself out there might bring him to wholeness and restoration but he's also going to be cut off from many of the people that he knows. And that's what God so often asks us to do. See, healing often comes through a step or several steps of faith. And steps of faith, they often look like us getting out of our comfort zone, us looking a little vulnerable. Jesus says, hey, step forward and stretch out your hand. All you have to do is do this. I'll do the rest, but you have to show me that that you're willing to trust me and put faith in me even when everybody else is gonna look down on you, even when everybody else is gonna come against you. This was a public thing that happened here. And Jesus, he restored him in front of everybody. Probably lost a lot of friends, but he was made whole. See, God, that's his purpose. That's his desire in each one of our lives that we would be restored, that we would be made whole. And there's things sometimes that we struggle with. We're crippled by, maybe it's legalism. Maybe it's these man-made laws that I've come up with that I'm bound to, that I don't only bound myself to, but I bind my family to, and I try to make them live up to my false sense of spirituality. And maybe it's pride, maybe it's hard-heartedness, maybe it's unbelief or lack of faith. The Lord wants to restore that. He wants to make you whole. Those things are are preventing you from wholeness, preventing you from restoration. We know that when we accept the Lord, that he restores us, he redeems us. But there's also a process of restoration. And there's things that he's trying to work out in our lives so that we can be whole, that we can experience the wholeness that this man with the withered hand felt. But what he's going to ask you to do often is going to be uncomfortable. It's going to require you um, getting out of your comfort zone. It's going to require you being vulnerable. See, sometimes it will be the Lord calling you to come to him and confess, and I want to make you whole, but you got to come to me. you got to work with me here. I'm not just going to make you whole. He's a gentleman. He won't force himself on us. But when we reach out and we ask God, yes, I want this, so often healing and wholeness happens. Sometimes the Lord doesn't do it by himself. Sometimes he uses the body of believers. Sometimes when we're struggling with something, we're crippled, our hand, we can't, we can't live the way we'd like to live because there's something holding us back. And God says, hey, I need you to get out of your comfort zone and be vulnerable and get uncomfortable and Reach out to the church. Reach out to a person in the church. You need prayer. You need ministry. You need help. I can help you, but I don't want you only to lean on me. Yes, I want you to lean on me, but God, he created the body of Christ for us to work together. And we talked about this a little bit on Wednesday, but in this journey of faith, there's ups and downs. There's highs and lows. And sometimes when you're in that pit and you're so low, yeah, God's hand, he's not so, it's not so short that he can't pull you out, but sometimes God uses someone else's hand to pull you out because he desires us to operate in unity, to operate as a body. So if that's you and and you identify with the, with the Pharisee and you identify with the legalism that they're bound to and you know that you need to reach out to the Lord, or to the body of believers, for prayer, for ministry, for anything. I pray that God gives you the humility and the vulnerability to do that, to step out of your comfort zone and, and seek the wholeness that he desires for you. Let's pray. Jesus, um, we thank you so much for your example and how you did ministry, God. You were um, all about love, Lord. You didn't just have compassion on the people and send your disciples out. Lord, you, you did the ministry too, God, and you brought restoration, you brought wholeness because of your love for them, God. I pray that you would put in us a heart of compassion, a heart of love, God. That we would be there for those in the body that are in that uh, kind of downward slope that they're in the valley and they just need some some prayer and some help, God, and that um, you would you would help us to to edify them like like you did in the scripture, God, to restore them, Lord and I pray if we are those that are like the man with the withered hand and we're crippled and we're bound by something and you're just asking us to reach out our hand and get out of our comfort zone and be vulnerable and and reach out to you in in his body. God, I pray that you would give us, that you would give the body the humility and vulnerability to do just that, Jesus. um, God, your love is so amazing, so powerful. Lord, I pray that we would be people that choose to walk in your love. Love on your people the way that you love them. In your name, amen.